I will be reading from Philippians chapter 4, which is on page 1181 of the Blue Bibles, if you've got them. And we'll be starting from verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jack. I uh, am the trainee here at Trinity Grove. It's uh, great to, uh, to be here this morning. Um, I walked outside this morning and just about felt like I had to tip a bucket of sunscreen over my head. It was so hot. So good on you for, uh, for braving this crazy hot weather uh, coming to church. It's awesome that we can, uh, that we can be here together uh, this morning celebrating uh, who Jesus is and what we can have through him. Um, just want to start off with a, with a, with a question quickly. Uh, over the summer holidays, has there been a moment where you've just kind of sat back and you've just thought, it's just been this moment. You've been like, yes, this is it. I'm content. Uh, it might have been food. It might have been, you know, that post Christmas relaxation. It might have been rest. Uh, I know for my parents, rest was high up on the desire list when my brother and I were growing up. Up to the point where Sam and I weren't going to bed, which was often, uh, mum and dad would try to trick us with something. Uh, they'd look at us and they'd say, Sam and Jack, do you want to do something exciting? And we'd turn around from whatever we were doing. It was usually like shooting chopsticks at each other with bows that were made out of mum's good wooden coat hangers. Uh, but we'd turn around and I would say, yeah, of course we want to do something exciting. And they'd say, well, there's this show coming, right? It's called The Blanket Show. And we'd go, The Blanket Show? And they'd go, yes, yes, all you need to do is go to sleep. And you may or may not be surprised, but we'd fall for it um, quite a lot. The last time was when I was 21. I'm over it now. It's all, it's all good. It's a joke. Um, but anyway, we'd, uh, <laughs> we'd go to bed. Uh, Mum and Dad will get that hour or so of silence in the house so they can just kind of sit back, be content in that rest and quietness while Sam and I drifted off to sleep, thoroughly convinced that we're going to the blanket show the next day, that it's on the horizon. 
Uh, contentment, uh, things in order that so that you can just sit back, uh, you can relax, be happy, have joy. Those are pretty trivial examples, though. Uh, it could be something more serious, you know, like security. Could be finances, could be housing, could be family or having a secure job. Or um, air conditioning, even, uh, for today. Uh, but for Paul the Apostle, who's stuck in jail in Rome, he has something to say to the church in Philippi uh, by way of teaching them and us about uh, contentment as he finishes off this letter that he wrote to them. So let's pray now and ask God that he'd help us today to understand uh, and respond to his precious word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a relational God. You're not distant to your people. Thank you that you speak to us through your word, that we can hear from you, that we can talk to you. And we pray that this morning as we're looking through this final part of Philippians, that you would uh, be teaching us something new, that you would be growing us in our understanding of who you are and what it means to live as your people in this world today. Amen. Uh, We heard last week from a guest speaker called Tim. And Tim preached to us from the start of chapter 4, And he spoke about reflexes. He spoke about having reflexes that point us straight back to God amidst things like hardship, uh, things like disputes. Paul changes tack slightly now from talking to the Philippians about this um, to firstly letting the Philippians know that he rejoices in their care of Paul and then by sharing some of what Paul himself has been learning uh, and would love for them to know. So point one should come up on the screen. Paul rejoices in the Philippians' concern for him. Uh, it's fair enough, right? Paul's in prison. It feels like nobody really cares about him. Uh, and then he receives through Epaphroditus uh, this gift from the Philippians. It'd be enough to raise anyone's spirits. On first reading this verse, it does sound a little bit like Paul is rejoicing that the Philippians have remembered him after forgetting him for a long time. Um, but that's not the case. The Philippians hadn't forgotten Paul. Uh, Paul himself says that they'd always been concerned for him. They just hadn't had that opportunity to express this concern for him up until this point. So Paul rejoices in the Lord that their concern has been revived. That is, that they have opportunity to care for him. Now remember what Paul has been saying uh, throughout Philippians, uh, that reminder of how we are to treat one another as Christian brothers and sisters. In chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, we have that reminder of Christ's humility and other person's centeredness. So Paul is rejoicing that the Philippians are showing this kind of service to him, even when he's so far away from them, even when he could easily be out of their minds. The church in Philippi wants to care for Paul. There's a lot here uh, that we can learn from the way that the Philippians have cared for Paul in this circumstance. Remember in in chapter 1, where Paul talks about partnership in the gospel... That's not just seeing the gospel going out together, it's living it together side by side. It's caring for one another as Christ shows us how to. It's easy to look at our church family, uh, one another, and to love one another on a Sunday morning, Uh, but how do we go doing this during the week? Are we a church that just forgets one another when we're out of sight of one another, or do we remember and care for one another? Paul is encouraged by a church that is far away, but that remembers him and cares for him. So for us, who live really close to each other and who are really only ever a phone call away, do we seek to care for one another in this way? Uh, Something that I love about Trinity Grove is that I know a big number of us do do that. Uh, I myself have uh, benefited from a lot of you caring for me in that kind of way. 
I want to encourage you to continue doing that. That we be a church that cares for one another and wants to show that same other person-centeredness that Paul is encouraging the church in Philippi in. It's easy for someone to slip under the radar. It's easy to think, well, I'm sure someone else is caring for that person, caring for their needs. But chasing someone up, it's not hard. Let's show one another that kind of love as well. But then Paul hasn't written to the church in Philippi just to let them know that he rejoices in in how they've been caring for him. He writes to them because he wants them to know that while he rejoices in their care and in their expressions of other person-centeredness, that he's actually learned something that he'd love for them to know and for them to learn also. Point two, Paul speaks of being content. There's that question I asked at the start, what what makes you content? Um, Chapter 4, verse 11 goes on to say, when I find it. I'm not saying this uh, because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, Paul's contentment doesn't rest in his present circumstances but in his eternal perspective. His contentment doesn't rest in his present circumstance, but his eternal perspective. See, he's not reliant on the church in Philippi to keep him going, to sustain him. Paul is reliant on God. So he knows that people, if he trusts them, will at some point let him down. It might be in a big way, it could be in a small way. Uh, I think for all of us here today, we could say we'd agree with Paul on that point because he knows that people or anything other than God uh, will not be able to sustain him in what he is going through, being in prison. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Uh, it's a really powerful verse of scripture, but one that uh, can often be misquoted or misunderstood. Because it's easy um, to read that verse and think that it means that God is going to do what you want him to do, rather than the opposite. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. God will give me the power to accomplish what I want to accomplish. My dreams won't just be dreams. I can do anything. It's a verse that um, for a lot of professional athletes makes its way to being tattooed on their bodies or uh, or appearing on their clothing. Like There should be a photo uh, that pops up like that on a pair of shoes. And now firstly, I think it's awesome that there are professional athletes who are on the field who publicly proclaim their Christianity and their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. But I think Philippians 4.13 is an interesting choice to put there. And that's because athletes go onto the field with one thing in mind. A professional athlete is going onto the field to win or lose. And for anyone who walks onto the field during a game of soccer, uh, of football, or of rugby, of professional chess, uh, you're playing because you want to win. But Philippians 4.13 doesn't mean that God will give you what you want. Because I'm sure if Paul had a choice, it would be to be outside of prison preaching the gospel, not inside of prison. And yet still inside of a prison cell, Paul can make this statement. Because we can't separate verse 13 from the rest of the book of Philippians. We can't separate it from what Paul has been on about constantly again and again. There's Philippians 1, 12 to 13. He says, I want you to know, brothers, uh, that what has happened to me in being in prison uh, really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
Paul's in prison, and his first concern remains the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 20 to 21, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, whatever were gains to me, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And finally, 3, verse 20 to 21, our citizenship is in heaven. and We eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul could be in prison for years and years, and yet he'd still be content. Because he knows Jesus. He knows the power of his word to bring life and salvation to the lost. He knows that his eternal citizenship is in heaven with his Lord and Saviour Jesus. Paul could have no food, no water, could be beaten, whipped, mocked, scorned, and yet he would still be content. Because his gaze isn't fixed on earthly concerns that are in front of him, but on his eternal perspective that is centred on Jesus who himself went through all that hardship uh, before dying on the cross in our place. For Paul, he says, if I'm living, awesome. I can continue to preach Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. Paul says, if I die, awesome. I gain everything because he gets to be with Christ. If Paul wins or loses on earth, he's content because he's already gained Christ, who has already gained the ultimate victory over death on our behalf. His gaze isn't fixed on his present circumstance, but on the eternity with Christ that awaits. Imagine you're the coach of a sporting team. You've, uh, you've worked your team for the whole season and they've transformed into this uh, amazing, just incredibly tough and brutal and focused group of athletes who will stop at nothing to claim victory. You've shed blood, sweat and tears alongside each other to get to this position and you've got a real shot at taking the title. But then one member of your team, uh, we'll call him Paul, just randomly, uh, he comes out at the beginning of the game, he walks up to you and shows you this this new tattoo that he got the week before, it says Philippians 4.13. You look at him and he smiles and he says, yep, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's a motivating and, and powerful message to send. This athlete with scripture on his arm, a big statement of belief in God and in Christ, uh, and his Christianity. But you have a decision to make as the coach of that team. Do you let him go onto the field? Let's read uh, those couple of verses before verse 13 again. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know uh, what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So do you let that player onto the sports field? Well, unless you as the coach don't really care about winning or losing, you know, in the grand final, no. Because if you have a team of athletes running onto the soccer field or the footy field, the rugby field, you want them going on with no other idea in their head but to win. But what Paul is is saying is that I don't care whether I win or whether I lose. And he's saying it because he's already gained Christ. He is content because he knows his Lord and Saviour. Could you say the same of your life too? See, Paul's contentment is in any and every situation is found in God and in what God can do 
and has done already, not in what Paul can accomplish. Uh, Whether things are going well for him or badly, his heart is fixed firmly on his Saviour. And it is such a joy that we as Christians, a couple of thousand years later, can say the same. If you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, please don't stop asking questions and looking into this. But look into who Jesus is and ask yourself the question, what would it mean for me if I could know this person? Why would a man like Paul be content being in a place like prison because he knows Christ? Please keep investigating. Please talk to someone here. Uh, come talk to me. I'd love to keep thinking that through you, uh, through with you. Now, with this mindset firmly in place and explained to the church in Philippi, uh, Paul continues to speak to them uh, of their generosity to them, how they've been caring for him. Um, but he speaks about it in a very specific way. See, as Paul's perspective isn't shaped by his present circumstance, but by his eternal perspective, he wants the Philippians to think the same way in terms of what they're giving to him. Point three, generosity uh, that bears fruit. Paul continues on from verse 14. says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia... Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul goes back to talking of his joy in the Philippians' partnership with him in the gospel. That is, when no other church seemed to really care about what happened to Paul or what he was up to, uh, the church in Philippi rose to the occasion and sought to support him in what he was doing. We see in verse 15 that they've sent him aid on more than one occasion. But he wants to emphasize something to the church in Philippi. Uh, He wants to emphasize that what they are doing in sending him aid uh, and gifts while helping him is actually doing something more. See, it's partnership in his ministry, the fruit of which... Paul wishes to see credited to the church in Philippi. So he wants their attention fixed on more than his circumstances. He wants their attention lifted towards Christ. To know that they're partnering with Paul as he goes about his mission, seeing the lost saved. That through their support, they're saying, yes, Paul, we also rejoice in the Lord and in what he's doing. So much so that we want to give of ourselves financially. And in the case of Epaphroditus, who delivered this message to Paul physically, to partner with you in what you are doing. A couple of things that we can pick up um, by Paul saying this to the, to the church in Philippi. The first thing we learn is that Paul doesn't want the glory to go to anyone else but God. Verse 20 says, to, the, to, uh, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Whether that be in what he does or in what the Philippians do, he does all things through the strength that God gives him. And the Philippians do what they do because of God too, because of what they know of him, because they want the message to go out to the lost as well. Paul wants God to be at the center of what's going on. And he sees the Philippians' gift through that lens, that God's work is being enabled. Paul wants the church to realize 
that he sees it this way and to also rejoice in the work that God does. In the power of God, not of Paul, to see the lost saved. To see gospel fruit being born out of their gift. That is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that is pleasing to God. So Paul wants all the glory to go to God, firstly. Secondly, Paul wants the Philippians to know that what they've freely given him goes towards something much greater uh, than just his physical comfort. Paul's eternal perspective shapes how he feels while in the world and it shapes how he acts as well. Um, Now, he's not saying that physical comfort is something that everyone should avoid and step away from and get rid of. Um, uh, What Paul is saying is he wants them focused uh, on eternity, on a God who loves them and cares for them and who is at work in his creation, bringing salvation to even more people so that they too can know God like the Philippians, know Christ. He's trying to lift their eyes above Paul's present circumstances so they can have that eternal perspective. Uh, As a church here at Trinity Grove, one way that we can do this and do do this uh, is by partnering with missionaries who go to other parts of Australia, other parts of the world, to take part in sharing God's word uh, with people, uh, to bring the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. Uh, For example, the mission trip we're hoping will go ahead this year to Catherine, where we can spend time with Kristen Slack and his church um, to help support them and encourage them to continue their ministry to people in Outback Australia. Uh, Or the Rose, uh, our missionary family who's overseas in Namibia, teaching at a college where they're training up others to take out the gospel to see others know Christ. We have a great privilege of supporting the Rose family in what they're doing. And one of the ways I thought that we could do that together over the next couple of weeks uh, is there's going to be a card up the back next Sunday. If you'd like to, uh, just write a few words of encouragement to them or just write your name in that card that will be up the back and we can send it to them that they too may be encouraged and rejoice in the Lord as Paul did. Rejoice that their Christian and brothers, uh, Christian brothers and sisters who are on the other side of the world are thinking about and praying for them as they take part in God's incredible work. So Paul rejoices in the Lord because of the Philippians' care for him. He speaks of the contentment that he has in the Lord because of God's provision and care for him. And he encourages the church to view how they live through this same lens as they see how God uses them uh, and what they have to further his work in the world. And those final few verses, 21 to 23, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul wants to finish the letter with Jesus smack bang at the center of everything that is said. With a reminder of Jesus' grace freely given to them. Now, I think it's worth us pondering for a moment and reflecting what it means that we are a church that has that eternal perspective. That perspective that isn't shaped by our present circumstances, but by God and who we get to be as his people in this world. We think for a minute about what it means that we as a church are unified by the gospel, by the saving work of Christ Jesus on our behalf. Let's be a church that goes out of its way to love one another, to look after one another, to want to see God's word go out so that we can see other people come to know God too and join our family. To have our gaze lifted above what we can just see in this world, to be content in every situation like Paul is, 
because we too know the love of Christ. I'm going to invite the band up now. Uh, We're going to sing a song in just a moment that helps us reflect on the hope we have in Jesus. That in even the hardest situation, uh, we can look to him and we can say, it is well with my soul uh, because of what Jesus has done for us. That this shapes how we see this world that we live in and shapes how we act in this world. Helps us have that eternal perspective that's been shaped by a loving God through a loving Saviour. So as the band comes up, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us shown through your Son. Thank you for all that we have through him, forgiveness of sins and life eternal with you. Pray that this shapes how we live our lives, that we wouldn't have our gaze fixed on this earth, but on eternity that we get to spend with you, Lord. Amen.